0: But it's great to be here with you. Open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 19. Isaiah chapter 19. And I want to read a prophecy in Isaiah 19 this evening. I've entitled this message, uh, if you can look up on the screen here, When Egyptians Speak Like Jews. Think about that. When Egyptians Speak Like Jews. And so let's begin reading in verse number 1. It says, In the burden of Egypt. Behold, the Lord rideth upon a swift cloud and shall come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence, and the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. In that day shall Egypt be likened to women, and it shall be afraid and fear because of the shaking of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he shaketh over it. And the land of Judah shall be a terror unto Egypt. Every one that maketh mention thereof shall be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he, shall, which he hath determined against it. Verse 18, pay close attention. This will be our text. In that day shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak the language of Canaan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, you would bless us tonight as we meet together on this Monday evening. Thank you for the good crowd that we have here. Thank you for their interest in the Word of God and in prophecy. Uh, Father, I pray that you would help me to rightly divide the Word of truth, to recall, uh, to memory those things that I've studied, that you've shown me throughout the years. And Lord, I pray that tonight, if there's one person here tonight that doesn't know Jesus, that Father, you would convict them of sin, show them that Jesus is the only means of salvation, and draw them unto yourself, I pray. For those who are saved but have become cold and indifferent, Father, if there be those that are here tonight that need to uh, come and renew their vows with you, uh, Father, you, they would rededicate their life and Father get on fire for you as uh, as they once were. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Notice verse eighteen: In that day, shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak. The language of Canaan. There's coming a day, the Bible says, when Egyptians will speak like Jews. The language of Canaan. I was just in Israel just a few weeks ago. And uh, lo and behold, uh, they speak Hebrew there. They speak English. Some speak Russian. But most Israelis, or all almost all Israelis, speak Hebrew. That's the language of Canaan. And so, when you think about this verse in verse 18, think about there's coming a day when Egyptians who speak Arabic will be speaking the language of the Jews. In Isaiah 19, verses 1 through 5, and I won't read all of those verses, but if you were to uh, read verses 1 through 15, excuse me, uh, what you will find are several different things that are prophesied concerning the nation of Egypt. Now, Egypt has been along, uh, been around rather for a long, long time, and uh, we know that Moses and the, uh, the Jewish people went into captivity there, and Moses led out uh, the Israelites out of. Uh, the land of Egypt, and they and uh, and they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Someone said, "Well, the Red Sea in some places it's only ankle deep water." And I said, "Well, praise God if that be the case, then Pharaoh's armies drowned in ankle deep water." Amen. Because there's a lot of uh, Egyptian uh, relics that have actually been harvested from the bottom of the Red Sea: chariot wheels and parts of chariots, and spears and swords, things that were. Uh, lost when the Red Sea swallowed up Pharaoh's army. But there's an eightfold judgment that's meted out um, in those first 15 verses of Scripture. And uh, I'll just give you a summary of what those different judgments are. The the Bible says in those verses that there would be civil strife in the land of Egypt, talking about the last days. Uh, It says there would be despair and hopelessness, And, of course, uh, it says that there would be political confusion. It says that there would be religious confusion in the land of Egypt in the latter days, in the last days. And when we look at all of that and we go back just about, what, 14 years ago, or or excuse me, 12 years ago, in 2011, 12 years ago, you remember seeing on television the civil war that erupted in the land of Egypt. You remember that. Hosni Mubarak was the uh, was the president uh, at that particular time, and and we know that uh, Isaiah 19 and verse two. Look at what it says, and think about the what they call the uh, the Arab Spring that broke out in Egypt in 2011. Says God says, I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians. And they shall fight everyone against his brother and everyone against his neighbor, city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. And that's what we saw on the news. It was being live streamed from Egypt all the way to the United States and to the uh, living rooms of Americans. And we watched this civil war break out. Egyptians fighting against Egyptians. Civil strife and disorder. Uh, We saw the military and the police come in and try to use tear gas to calm down the mobs, but that didn't work. And we saw uh, more and more fighting, and and riot gear broke out. And the police and the military came in to try to uh, put a stop to all of this rebellion. Hosni Mubarak was the president at that time of Egypt. Uh, Even though he wasn't uh, a Jew, he was an Egyptian. He was a Muslim he still uh, looked at Israel in a favorable sight. And that was one of the reasons why he was finally removed by force by the Muslim Brotherhood during this Arab Spring. He had signed uh, agreements with Israel. Uh, Israel and Egypt at that time were at peace, which was a rare thing. It was a rare thing. Uh, The Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood quickly rose to power in Egypt Uh, This was a very anti-Semitic organization. These were very strict um, Muslims that believed in Sharia law, and they were a very strict uh, government, and they oppressed the people during that time. And this man, Muhammad Morsi, uh, from the Muslim Brotherhood, was installed as a newly elected president. He wasn't really elected president, but they said he was elected president. And of course, during that time, uh, there was a lot of tunnels that were found. Tunnels from Egypt to Gaza, from Egypt to Ga- who's in Gaza? Hamas, a terrorist organization. The Palestinians that are living in Hamas or uh, living in Gaza, they are they are uh, uh, incensed about the Jews, and they constantly are firing rockets into southern Israel. They're trying to kill as many as they possibly can. These tunnels were equipped with uh, air conditioning and lighting and that type of thing. And they weren't smuggling cigarettes through there. They were smuggling rockets. And uh, Hamas rained down rockets upon southern Israel as a means of terrorism. That all began in Egypt funneling these uh, weapons through uh, the tunnels leading into Gaza. Uh, Egyptian mobs were incensed and inflamed. Anti-Semitism was inflamed, and they they seized the uh, Egyptian, or excuse me, the uh, Israeli embassy in Cairo, Egypt, and uh, they tore down the flag. and And uh, as this anti-Semitism that was inflamed, it began to spread throughout parts of Egypt. Now, not all Egyptians hated the Jews, but many of them did. And so what we see here is the brotherhood fundamentalists began murdering not only Jews but Christians. There were a lot of Christians living in Egypt. I don't know about you, uh, but I love Israel. Wherever I stand, I stand Amen. with Israel. Amen. And uh, God says, "Shalom, uh, Yerushalayim." He says, "Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love Thee." That's what the Bible says in Psalm. 122 and verse 6. The Bible says in Genesis, it says that I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Uh, Folks, it's important that we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's important that we stand with Israel. They are God's chosen people. If you want God's blessing upon you as an individual or as a family or as a church, we need to support uh, Jewish evangelism. We need to uh, lift up uh, the Jewish people in prayer. We ought to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Listen, folks, uh, don't forget our Savior was a Jew. Jesus came into the tribe of Judah in the household of David. Copy children were forced to leave their Christian families and convert to Islam during this time when the Muslim Brotherhood uh, was in control of Egypt. Uh, Egyptian Americans supported uh, the, the the old or former government, and they rejected this newly formed government. Uh, military that was taken and installed by a coup. Uh, Mohammed Badi was ultimately re- arrested, and he was, he was put into prison, and Muhammad Morsi, the guy who had been installed as the newly elected president of Egypt, served only 12 months before he was uh, cast out and removed by the military, and again, civil war once more broke out in Egypt, Egyptians fighting against Egyptians. Finally, the military overcame the Muslim Brotherhood, and uh, Adli Massur was appointed the interim president of Egypt. And after he, uh, Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, was elected as the new president of Egypt, he remains today as the president of Egypt. Now, since the Arab Spring, we have seen portions of this prophecy found in Isaiah 19 that has come to pass. We've seen some of it has come to pass, but there's much more to come to pass, and I want to talk about that. God has much to say about the future of Egypt. Notice verse 4. And the Egyptians will I give over unto the hand of a cruel lord, and a fierce king shall rule over them, saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts. Many thought the Muslim brotherhood and And uh, Muhammad Morsi being installed as the new president of Egypt was the fulfillment of this, but it only lasted for 12 months. And he's nothing compared to this cruel Lord that's being spoken of in verse 4. What we see in verse 4 sounds a whole lot like the Antichrist, the beast, the man of sin, son of perdition. And when you see uh, in Daniel chapter 8, there's much to be... Uh, learned about the Antichrist in that portion of Scripture. Just let me read a few verses from there. Verse 23, Daniel eight twenty-three says, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to full, a, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up, and his power, speaking of the beast, the Antichrist, his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. Who's he being empowered by? Satan. Satan. The Antichrist is not Satan. He is a man being empowered by Satan. And so we see, it says, his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully. Now, folks, in Appalachia, we say he'll do that a bunch, okay? And and, and he, he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and, notice, the holy people. We know that during the tribulation, that 70th week of Daniel, that the, the Jewish people are going to be persecuted. Zachariah says two-thirds of the Jews will die. Today that would be about 12 million Jews, twice the number of the Holocaust. And so the Antichrist is going to persecute the woman. Revelation chapter 12 tells us all about that. And, and through his policy, the Antichrist, also, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify whom? Himself. He's elevating himself. He wants to be the king of the world. And by the way, he will be the king of a new world order. He sure will. And it says uh, he wants to magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. If you look at uh, Revelation chapter 6, you'll find those four horsemen of the apocalypse. And the first horse is white. And, uh, and, And what we see is the Antichrist coming in on a white horse on a platform of peace. Platform of peace. But after he gets power then he comes in on a platform of war and that's the red horse and then after that a black horse which is a horse uh, that depicts the famine that occurs during the war, probably World War III at that time and then the pale horse which represents death and so he will will, uh, come in by peace and shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, notice capital P right here. The prince of princes. Who is the prince of princes? That would be Jesus. That would be Jesus. And so he will come in. He will stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Praise God. I've read the end of the book. Jesus wins. Make no mistake about it. And we see that all the way back in the Old Testament of Daniel, chapter 8. Now, I want to emphasize this. If you're in the habit of marking your Bible... This would be a good place to mark your Bible. Because in Isaiah 9, 19 you should say, in Isaiah 19, verses 16 through 25, verses 16 through 25, you're going to find this phrase, in that day, in that day, in that day, six times that phrase, in that day, will be used. In that day refers to? the last days the end times the latter times in that day let's look at them. isaiah 19:16 what's it say in that day egypt will suffer god's judgment notice what it reads in that day shall egypt be like unto women and it shall be afraid and fear because of the shaking of the hand of the lord of hosts which he shaketh over Right now, they are shaking their fist in the face of God. But God's going to shake his fist over the land of Egypt. So much so that it will be like the days when the plagues hit during the time of Moses. And the people were shaken and they were stirred and they were afraid because of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of the Jews. And it caused their hearts to quake. The second time we see that phrase is in verse eighteen. In that day, Egypt will speak the language of the Jews. We talked about it already. In that day, shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak like speak rather the land uh, the language of Canaan. The language of Canaan today is Hebrew. You ever wonder what language we'll speak in heaven? I suspect we'll speak Hebrew. That's just my guess because that's what Jesus spoke down here. His people, the Jews. I always wanted to speak fluent Hebrew, but I never could. I can speak some phrases in it, but not speak it fluently. But there's coming a day when five cities in the land of Egypt, keep in mind, they speak Arabic. These are Muslims who are going to be speaking Hebrew. How about that? And now notice verse 19, that same phrase. In that day, Egypt will have an altar to the Lord. Now, when I first read that, it really opened my eyes. And I went back and reread it. I thought, did I read that wrong? Did verse nineteen say that Egypt would have an altar to the Lord? Let's read it. In that day there shall be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. Listen, folks, in 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 Islam they don't even have a plan of salvation, let alone an altar to offer sacrifices unto Allah. They don't believe that. They don't believe in offering sacrifices to Allah. They don't have an altar like Egypt, or excuse me, like Israel has an altar, where they offer different sacrifices unto the Lord Jehovah God, according to the law, the Torah. They don't have that. As a matter of fact, they don't. In Islam, they don't have a means of salvation. I ask um, uh, our guide when we go to Jordan. We went to Petra this past December, and I I, I like to witness to my Arab guides, and uh, it's a great opportunity. You got about two and a half hours of a bus ride, and and you know we might as well talk about the Lord, Amen. And so uh, you know, and I've talked to many of them, and. They don't have a means of salvation. I said, how do you know you're going to go to heaven one day? Oh, I don't know. Why don't you know? Well, only if Allah decrees for me to go to heaven. I said, isn't that sad? He said, what? I said, that you don't know whether you're going to go to heaven or hell. Isn't that sad that you don't have the confidence and the assurance, the hope that I have in Jesus Christ? Because I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded he's able to... Listen, to keep that which he has committed unto him against that day. Praise God. I know I'm going to heaven. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Because he lives, I can live also. And that's the hope of every child of God. That's right. But see, Muslims don't have salvation. And here we find that they're going to be offering sacrifices unto the Lord God in that day. And it shall be for what? A sign And a witness unto the Lord of hosts, where? In the land of Egypt. And and that just struck me as so odd because Muslims don't offer sacrifices. They don't have altars. But here we find in the last days, during the tribulation period, after the Antichrist is lording over everybody, that they're going to have an altar unto the Lord. What, What might that altar be? You ever heard of the Great Pyramid of Giza? There are many theologians who believe that this could very well be the altar mentioned in Isaiah 19. That the great pyramid of Giza would be that altar during that tribulation period in which the Egyptians would offer unto the Lord. Let's see why. When you think about this pyramid, this is the largest pyramid in the world. It's an incredible sight to behold. Likely built in the 22nd century. It's made up of 115,000 stones, made level within, listen, made level within one one-hundredth of an inch. I I couldn't do that today. I can't imagine those people doing it back in 2200 B.C. And, And not only that, the pyramid is nearly... 500 feet high, and some of the stones used weigh 80 tons. They didn't have cranes. They didn't have laser beams to, to level things. They didn't have all of the modern-day equipment that we have, like computers and other things. And, and the stones were cut on a bevel so that it's, uh, these stones would fit together with seams less than one-fifth of an inch. Imagine that. When you think about the the Great Pyramid of Giza, it took approximately 20 years to build. It took over 100,000 men to construct it. And it's made of stones, not bricks. Made of stones, not bricks. That means they were heavy. Some, as I said, were weighing 80 tons. Uh, Only a pyramid, it's the only pyramid that is not solid. In other words, you didn't have a base of... uh, Stones, and then on top of that, a base of stones, like if you had those, uh, what those little blocks that those kids play with, Thank Lego you. blocks. Yeah, it's not like that. The this was hollow on the inside, and, it, and there's a reason for that. All other eighty pyramids built in the world, but mere copies of the Great Pyramid of Giza. The pyramid served, listen, a pyramid served as a headstone. Why? because a pyramid was used as a tomb. But the Great Pyramid of Giza never served as a tomb. As a matter of fact, it sits on a 13-acre base, and that base is made level within one inch. Back in 22 B.C., think about that. And 900 million cubic feet of granite. And you know granite is extremely heavy. Engineers today can they even explain how these workers were able to fit these uh, stones so closely together? Let me put all these. Its face is polished. Uh, it's polished white limestone. It shone so brightly it could be seen a hundred miles away. It rests on four foundation stones that fit into sockets within the bedrock uh, underneath it, and this uh, kept the pyramid square and level during temperature change. I don't know if you've ever had a door in your house swell and it began to stick. Like the front door, if it was made of wood, it would begin to stick during the winter months. In the summer, it would shrink, and you'd see daylight all around it. I mean, that's the way my house used to be. (laughs) And I finally got me a steel door. But anyway, the face of the Great Pyramid of Giza faces directly due north. Um, It's the only pyramid, only on a pyramid, rather, can... uh, Uh, the capstone be called the head of the corner. Its golden capstone was rejected by the builders. That's why the Great Pyramid of Giza doesn't have a capstone. It's missing it. Think about that. You say, well, what am I telling you all this for? Well, Jesus said, did you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected, the same became the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. You see, this pyramid depicts Jesus Christ in so many ways. He is our cornerstone, our chief cornerstone. He is the foundation on which the church is built. When, when Jesus uh, was talking, he said, I, I, "He said, Listen, he said, uh, He was talking to Peter, he said, uh, Thou art. Peter, he said, uh, Simon, I pray for you. He said, listen, you're going to build my church. He didn't say, I'm going to build your church. He didn't say, you're going to build my church. He said, you, Peter, are going to build my church. Peter was the one who was going to build the church. He was a church planter. Christ is the head of the church. He's the capstone. He's the cornerstone. From the north entrance of the Great Pyramid of Giza, If you go all the way down to the lowest level, and there's a stairway that you could walk all the way down to a chamber, that angle is 26 degrees, 18 minutes, 9 seconds. It's called the Christ angle. You say, why is it called the Christ angle? Because if you were to turn around at the northern entrance and face Bethlehem, guess what the angle is going to be? 26 degrees, 18 minutes and 9 seconds. It's the exact same angle. If you're facing Bethlehem, or if you turn and you face the inside of the Giza, the, the Great Pyramid of Giza. And what happens when you go to the bottom of the steps? I'll tell you what, you come to the king's chamber. <laughs> the king's chamber. And inside the king's chamber, there's a box. And that box is the exact dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant. And you can't get that box through the door because it's too big to fit through the door. So that means they had to build that box inside of that room before the door was built. Now, how did they know the dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant? They didn't. But God had a part in this, you see. God had a part, I believe, in the building of the Great Pyramid of Giza. In Hebrew numerology, every letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a numerical value, a numerical value. So if you look at uh, Jehovah, uh, then each of those letters would have a numerical value. You add that up and you come with the sum of the value of that name, that word. The height of the Great Pyramid in in inches equals the sum of all Hebrew letters in Isaiah 19. Verses 19 and 20. You say, well, what does verses 19 and 20 say? In that day there shall be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. And it shall be for a sign and a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe God ordained that to be. In Isaiah 20, the second half, we haven't read this part yet, but listen to what it says. And they shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressors. Why will Egyptians in the, in the last days, um, why, why will the Egyptians cry out to the God of Israel instead of Allah, the God of Islam? Because of the oppressors. Who's oppressing them? Uh, The beast, the antichrist. Because they aren't obedient unto him as he wants them to be. And he, God, shall send them a savior and a great one. And he shall deliver them. That's what God does to people who call out to him and cry out for mercy. I don't know about you, but when I got saved January 2nd, 1972, 51 years ago, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And when I cried out to Jesus Christ to save me, guess what? He saved me. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We all have a need. And that need is we need to be saved. We need to be forgiven of sin. We need a Savior. We don't need a second chance. Folks, you, can, you can't you can work your way to heaven, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of Amen. works. Amen. You see, Islam teaches a works-based salvation. Judaism teaches a works-based salvation. Many denominations here in America and around the world, they teach a works-based salvation. That's the way of Cain. Yep. You see, when Cain and Abel, the two sons of Adam and Eve, when they came before God to present an offering, Cain brought a fruit, Abel brought a flock. Cain brought the works of his hand, Abel brought a bloody sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. You can't have forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And so Jesus tasted death for all men so that all men might be saved. He did that for us on the cross of Calvary. But he conquered death, hell, and the grave when he what? Rose again victoriously, praise the Lord. There's a fourth time we see that phrase. In that day, Egypt will sacrifice unto the Lord. Notice what it says, and the Lord shall be known to Egypt. And the Egyptians shall know the Lord in that day. And shall do sacrifice and oblation just like the Jews are doing. And, and, and yea, they shall vow a vow unto the Lord and perform it. There's a lot of people who vow a vow unto the Lord who don't perform it. God says, I don't want to hear your, your cheap words. You know, I want to I see some action. And, and with, listen, when we get saved, we ought to be putting some shoe leather to our faith. There's a lot of people who, got, who make a profession of faith, and then a month, two months, three months later, you never see them anymore at church. You've, you've seen that. So have I. Everyone's seen that. Why? I don't know if that person ever got a dose of the real thing or not. I have no idea. I can't see their heart. It's a full-time job for me to take care of myself, to make sure that my heart's right with God. But I, I believe that there's a lot of people who profess to know Christ who don't possess to know Christ. They don't really trust Jesus Christ with their heart, soul, and mind. In that day, Egypt will be sanctified by the Lord. Now I want you to see these last couple here to me are phenomenal. In that day, there shall be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrians shall come into Egypt, and the Egyptians into Assyria, and the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians. Here you see the Egyptians and and the Assyrians working together. Not uncommon. They're both Muslim countries. They both fought against Israel more than once. But in that day, this sixth time, look at what it says in verse 24. In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and Assyria. Now we're getting really uh, a little bit uh, different. I've never seen... Israel mentioned favorably in the same favorable light that God makes with Assyria and Egypt. But in this verse, we see Israel, Assyria, and Egypt all mentioned in a favorable light. In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing, even a blessing in the midst of the land. When when have you ever read in the Bible where Egypt was a blessing to God? Or where the Assyrians were a blessing to God? This is the only time I've ever found it. But look at this. Whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel. Israel. Mine inheritance. Wow. Uh, That's one of the most incredible verses I've ever read in the Bible. God calls Egypt my people. God calls Assyria the work of my hands. God calls Israel his inheritance. (laughs) And this is going to take place when? During the tribulation. During the tribulation. You see, the lesson to be learned in Isaiah 19 is quite simple. I don't know why you're here tonight. I don't know what you've been through lately. I know we all have troubles. I know Job said, man who is born of woman is full of trouble as the sparks fly upward. He said, man's full of trouble. Sometimes we can remember the bad times in our life more than we can remember the good times in our life, and that causes us to be depressed, and God doesn't want us to be depressed. He wants us to have a smile on our face. He wants us to have a joy in our heart, a spring in our step. He wants us to... Some Christians look like they've been baptized in pickle juice. I've never seen anything like it. You know, they just pooch face and puckered up. You know, who'd want some of that? I don't want any of that. I want, when somebody comes and tells me about Jesus, I want them to have a smile on their face. How about that? A song on their lips. But a lot of people are hurting. Uh, This pandemic's taking its toll, but listen, folks, it's not the first time there's been a pandemic. My son-in-law's grandmother was born during the first pandemic. She died during the second pandemic, 100 years apart. She was 104 years old. What's the lesson to be learned in all of this? I believe the lesson to be learned is found in Romans 5.20. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You see, it doesn't matter what you've done, who you are, where you come from, what color of skin you, you, know, you have, or language you speak. God loves you. He loves you so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross of Calvary for you. If you would just repent of your sin and say, Lord, I don't need a second chance, I need a Savior, and you cry out to God, just like Egypt, He will send you a, a, a great Savior. He will save you tonight. The Bible is very clear. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call upon him in whom they've not heard? How shall they hear of him except the preacher preach? And How shall they preach except they be sent? God's called me to preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm here this week because God ordained for me to be here this week to preach this message to you tonight. Maybe this is the message you need to hear, that it doesn't matter what you've done, how bad you've been, how good you've been. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter about any of that stuff. God sees you. And he loves you. And he wants to save you. <clears throat> you. Say, preacher, I've been saved. Have you been serving the Lord? Well, not like I should. Why not? Why not come tonight? Get on your knees before God and say, Lord, I repent of my sin. I repent of my selfishness. I call upon you to forgive me, Lord. If you're lost, ask him to come into your heart upon the authority of God's word. I promise you, he'll do just that. Bow your heads. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for loving us. And As we get ready for a song of invitation, as the pastor comes, I pray that, Father, you would stir hearts, draw men, women, boys and girls unto yourself as only you can. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.